Welcome to NCSY's Leading Inspired, the podcast that takes you on a transformative journey through the minds of remarkable leaders. I'm your host, Eliezer Jones, and together we'll explore the stories, insights, and wisdom of individuals who not only inspire us, but empower us to become better leaders ourselves. So buckle up, because the adventure of leadership begins right here, right now. Fortunate to have up here Rabbi Moshe Hauer, who's the executive vice president of the OU, Rabbi Dr. Josh Joseph, who's the executive vice president and COO, and Mr. Mitch Ader, who is the president of OU. Uh, so we have professional leadership and lay leadership. The way the format is going to be is that I'm going to ask specific questions to each of you uh, from the NCSY staff. And just so you know, as I do want to express a car satov, one for hosting us. We have 51 NCSY staff from across the, actually, North America um, who, uh, who have opted in to grow in leadership. This was not a forced-upon program. This was opt-in. So a car satov for hosting us and a car satov to the staff for choosing to be a part of this. So, Rabbi Hauer, if I can start with you, what do you see as the value NCSY brings to the OU um, as one of the amazing divisions? And like this leadership development program, uh, in what ways can the OU continue to support the staff's growth? What is the value NCSY brings to the OU? We usually spend our time asking the question, what is the value that OU brings to NCSY? That's our job. Um, NCSY, for us, is the tip of the spear. Uh, the avoda, the job of the OU, is best said in its uh, little logo, uh, which has in it two Hebrew words, Torah or mitzvahs. Uh, it also has a name, Orthodox Union. And we want that the Jewish people should be ki'ish echad, belev echad, around Torah, driven by Torah, inspired by Torah, have their lives defined by Torah. And um, it's not like that. It's not like that. And so much has to be done. Uh, NCSY, through absolutely no credit of, of our own, but through those who came before all of us, has really transformed the opportunity for young people in America, American Jews, to tap into a driving, inspired Yiddishkeit. And that's true critically in the space of Kiruv, of people who aren't spending their days in Jewish schools. And it's no less true, and we're not going to get into a, a debate right now, which is, I know, one of NCSY's favorite debates. And it's one of our favorite debates, too. Um, but it's incredibly important, important for the day school population. Incredibly, incredibly important for the day school population. So, like, we, our achrai is our responsibility here as an organization is to, what we always say around here is to elevate the religious engagement of Jews. Thank you. Um, Josh, it's for you. I think we said NCSY is coming up upon 70 years, um, so we've been around a long time. The world is changing. What do you think is the most significant challenge facing NCSY today, and how can we, the leaders of NCSY, um, what can we do to address it? Thank you so much, Eliezer. Just a shout out to Eliezer Jones, everybody, for all the work that he's done in putting us together. And also, uh, every time I mention Shai Kapitnikov uh, in his full name and spell K-O-P-I-T, the rest of it, 
so some of you uh, had the misfortune of being seated at a table with me last night for dinner, so some of what I might say today might repeat because apparently we were there till much later than past my bedtime. Talent acquisition. Bringing on, keeping, growing our talent. I think that that is a challenge, has been a challenge, and is something that hopefully this kind of day, or these kinds of days, these kinds of projects help to start to uh, make each and every one of you and your teams and your advisors feel needed, special, important, valued, and as opposed to uh, sometimes what's used, you know, you're the future, which you are also the future, you're the present, you're the now. I, I, you know, I, again, I told this story yesterday uh, to a different group, the, the fourth cohort, but I only have a few stories. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the times I got fired from my previous job, I got fired very, very, very frequently. Um, and I presented to the Board of Trustees a table of organization uh, that had uh, the board at the bottom of the chart supporting the president, uh, supporting the vice president, supporting the deans, supporting the faculty, with the students at the top. And I superimposed a picture of a tree on top of it and the leaves and the apples or whatever the fruit was that PowerPoint allowed me to put in, they, there was an image and they would fall to the ground and then they became part of the lay leadership and then they became the board supporting the president. And it was just, I thought really, um, okay, cheesy but beautiful, right? The notion that our job is to support the people in their positions. Um, so the board looked at me and said like, you're putting us at the bottom of the, obviously you don't get your place here, and so we need to find someone else to do your job. But I didn't end up losing my job that time. That's how we view all of us up here. That's how all of us view um, our role, is to be in a role of supporting you and helping you, because you're the ones who have direct access to the fruit and to the leaves and to the branches and um, talent. You're the talent, and, and we need to be supportive of you bringing on more of you and making you feel like you can grow. Um, and uh, grow, as somebody correctly pointed out, not just grow to your next job, Shana, but even within your current jobs, be able to grow and flourish and be appreciated for what you're doing. Thank you. I, I do actually, I mean, I, I hope you guys all realize, like what's happening these, these two days is an example of that, the investment in talent, uh, retention and acquisition. Uh, you're gonna hear more about uh, during lunch about the OUHR's focus on career pathways. Um, so there clearly is an investment in that, and um, I know we appreciate that, Mitch. And this is great. I, I'm glad to hear that you're also the chairman of NCSY. So you're definitely in the right position to answer this question. What leadership skills do you believe NCSY staff should focus on to grow in the organization? Um, uh, so to begin with. Um um, you should take anything I say about leadership with a grain of salt. Uh, I've been in my current role for 10 months, and I haven't fired Josh even once. <laughs> the day is young. <laughs> Something to note. Um, I, I don't think that there is any one model. 
um, and any one thing um, in, in terms of the leadership for, for people in this room for what they should focus on. But if, I think if I had to have one theme, um, it's, um, um, it's collaboration. Collaboration is an important part of leadership. Um, you know, I, I used to, um, I used to have a previous life, um, and I was a um, a senior partner at a, at a at a fancy accounting firm. And um, every year we would make um, some number of partners, and the, those who were in my department, I would sit them down when they when they made partner, and I would say, you know, you're not smarter today than you were yesterday, right? We put you in the spot because we think you can do more, but yesterday, right, you consulted with others on what you did. And just because we've now given you a fancy title and more money doesn't mean you should stop consulting. And I think that within NCSY, again, it applies more broadly, but I think one of the beauties of a gathering like this um, is, is to create the contacts and the people so that um, you know when an issue comes up where you have to make a decision, where you have to decide how to deal with people or challenges, whatever leadership issues that come about, that the people on whom you can draw, people with whom you can work, people who have faced it before, and, and not to feel, right, well, like you know, I'm the head of something, so I need to do this myself. Um, and having that confidence Right? Some people think of that as a nevus. It's not. I think it's the opposite. It's confidence. It's a confidence to be able to consult and to collaborate with others and say, you know what, <clears throat> um, they've done it before. They have another idea. They may be wrong. Right? But, to, but to have that, those connections, right? and that applies within NCSY, within your region, across regions, within the OU. Right? right now, there's so many things that are going on between OU and uh, NCSY and JLIC, for example, right, which, which didn't happen before. And we need more of that, right? <clears throat> um, and so to me, that is one of the things that I think is broadly needed. Thank you. Uh, the next set of questions are a little more uh, difficult because they're emotional and they're around anti-Semitism, the rise of anti-Semitism after the attack. <laughs> on Israel on October 7th, um, but a lot of our staff are dealing with that on a daily basis uh, with teens. Um, but Rabbi Hauer, what role do you believe NCSY um, should play as leaders in the fight against anti-Semitism? It, it would seem that um, a core achrayas, a core responsibility that, um, that all of us have is internal rather than external. And I, I, I mean that in two ways. First of all, we are maminim, b'nei maminim. And we cannot allow ourselves to believe, even though we get caught up in the hishtadlus, we're all human beings, we see things and we see cause and effect in a certain way, and, but we're maminim and we know that it's not the, the reality. And so everything in the battle that we're fighting today for Eretz Yisrael or for America is, uh, is something that has to be, the, the, the main front has to be spiritual. We have to be davening. We have to be better Jews. We have to be at peace with ourselves so that others will be peaceful towards us. All of those things 
that we teach about, we have to keep teaching about, as someone once said, until we actually believe it. We have to model it. So internally, that's huge. Secondly, internally, the students that you work with are not as mature as you are. They're not as wise as you are. They don't necessarily see through the narrative the way you see through the narrative. You hear what these people are saying, and I, 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 I don't want to. I don't want to impose anything on anybody. I hear what these people are saying, and like, what on earth are they talking about? They call that context, like that makes sense. Don't, don't they realize what happened October 7th? They say it starts, we're, we're oppressing them so they're fighting us or we're stuck oppressing them because of the fact that they never stop fighting us because they want to kill us. So you know that. And you know that from history and you know that from the Torah that you learn and you, and, and, and you, you know that. Your kids don't know that. Or they're more vulnerable to believing what they hear. So that's a major front in the battle against anti-Semitism. Sometimes say the battle against anti-Semitism really starts with Semitism. People have to be strong in what they are and what they believe in, strong in, 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 uh, in um, standing with Kal Yisrael and with Kal Yisrael's survival. And you know, that's a, a big chinuch moment that, uh, that we have for our kids. Thank you. Josh, the next question is very personal for, I think for many, but this was this was asked. Um, and I do, I get, again, a cars to the OU and NCSY who immediately put out resources and we had webinars and support uh, for those of us who are struggling. Um, it was almost immediate. I think we had at least four sessions. The question that uh, was written, you know, many of the staff um, are working with supporting their own staff and teens that are afraid of the current situation. But how could we lead others through this when we are scared ourselves? And how do we help others through fear when we're terrified? So, um, I was on the phone with my daughter, Matze um, Shabbos. She's in, uh, she's in Israel. And um, so they had just, or they were about to move the clocks, but it was still early, early morning. She made Aliyah, and she's doing Sherut Lumi. And uh, I give NCSY some of the credit for that and the blame, uh, that because it, a lot of it started from her going on NCSY Rescue and, and, and all kinds of different programs and uh, really growing her love for, for Eretz Yisrael, for the, for the country, for the Medina. And she's been very strong to the point that when I was supposed to get on a plane two weeks ago and fly, she said, I'm not letting you get on a plane to come to Israel. I said, you're, you're, in, you're, you're there. She goes, yeah, I'm in the war zone. You're flying into one. You don't have to do that. Don't be silly. Um, but it, this was a moment uh, this past Monday Shabbos when she was scared, anxious. And my wife uh, came, has come up with a, a way for me to learn how to talk to my daughter. Uh, I'm still working on it. She's 21 years old. Um, I'll get there eventually. Which is to ask her which one of the three H's that she needs at that moment. Does she need to be heard? Does she need to be helped? 
or does she need to be hugged? And uh, it happened to be that in this moment she wanted a little bit of each. But that frame, I think, can be helpful. Um, and here, a hug obviously is not a physical hug. She's on the phone far away, but just feeling that, that love. That I love her, that I'm there, that I get it, that I'm with her. That I hear her concerns, that she's anxious, and not just saying, well, maybe we need to, you go to need to go, I need to send you to a therapist, or, 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 which is also an important outlet. And to be helped, how do I think through these, through this moment? And so I got off the phone with her, and it was, you know, I turned to my wife, and she said to me, she goes, so now do you need to be helped? Do you need to be heard, or do you need to be hugged? I think sometimes we're so focused on the people that we are working with, that we are supporting, that we are engaging, that we forget that we are part of our own audience. There was a session I was supposed to give yesterday that we didn't quite get to you know, one of the core uh, questions, which is, who, who's our audience? Who's our customer? And I would argue that at NCSY, more so than maybe other places, but especially at NCSY, we are our own customers. And if we don't begin with self-care at this time, it becomes very, very difficult, asymptotically close to impossible, to help the people around us. If we don't take care of our own emotions, if we're not self-aware enough to be able to manage ourselves, it becomes that much more difficult to work with the people around us. So, long answer to a short question. Thank you. Begin by taking care of yourselves. That's where I would start. Thank you. Mitch, this was an interesting question. I don't, I don't know if it, if it exists, but the OU is a massive global organization with a lot of donors, a lot of clients, a lot of professional relationships. In the last few weeks, has there been any of those relationships that have come out pro-Hamas, and what response has the OU had to them? And I guess as a follow-up, what role is the OU playing in dealing with the growing anti-Semitism in the schools, communities, campuses, and you know, companies? Um, okay, so the answer to the first one is easy. The answer is no. Um, um, within our universe, um, the support has been um, uh, um, across the board, universal, um, and that's both our clients and our donors certainly um, um, uh, within our, our clients of Kashrus. We've had tremendous support uh, of, uh, of companies reaching out, uh, offering money, offering food, um, and, and support of one, one sort or another. Um, um, <coughs> um, and we've been sort of deeply involved, I think, um, um, I'm sure you can, you can read about it in our various weekly updates in, in advocacy um, um, with, with governmental officials, with civic leaders, um, um, both on the Israeli front as well as on the uh, U.S. security front. Um, so we have sort of pivoted. Um, so many of our uh, of our uh, of our departments to focus on uh, on the threats both locally and um, and in Israel. Um, and we, we were doing so with partnerships. Um, um, we have, um, you know, thank God over 
recent years, Rabbi Howard in particular has taken the lead on building relationships with other organizations um, 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 and organizations with, with whom we don't normally agree about a lot of things. Um, 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 but we need to work together, um, whether it be the ADL, um, which has come a long, long way before three weeks ago. Um, in, in terms of being more sensitive to the risk to the Orthodox community. Before issuing statements, they now contact us. <clears throat> is, is this okay? Is this, con you know, and, and we, we've made changes to things that they're putting out. Just one example. Um, so, so we've been very focused on security, advocacy, uh, et cetera. I'll just add one brief point. I know it probably breaks the rules in, into, you know, to, to the previous question to Josh. Um, and I agree with him entirely. It's important that, you know, to, to be vulnerable. We're all, we're all vulnerable. Uh, I can't tell you the number of meetings um, that the three of us have been at where one or all of us have broken down crying <clears throat> over the last number of weeks. This is hard. This is really hard. And we're, we're old, we're experienced, we've been around, we've seen a lot of different things. <clears throat> um, uh, Rabbi Howard and I um, have been in Israel. Um, I've been there twice in the last uh, four weeks. Um, and we've seen things, we've heard things that are really hard. All of us have children, you know, Josh mentioned his daughter, <clears throat> daughter Marsha who's there. Uh, all of us have children <clears throat> who, who live in Israel. It's personal for all of us and it's hard, right? <clears throat> and we lean on each other, we hug each other, um, and that's something that it's okay, and it's okay to be vulnerable, because this is hard. And to put up a, you know, a, a you know, a tough front, right, which is sort of our, you know, sort of natural reaction, certainly my natural reaction to things, right, the playbook has changed. It's okay. Thank you. I was actually speaking with Rabbi Avi Berman uh, last week, and he had said that one of the companies that OU Israel um, supports with Kashrus, non-Jewish company, non-Jewish owner, called, offered support, wrote a $100,000 check in support, and uh, seems like that is a, uh, you know, a similar story um, with other organizations. That's nice to hear. Rabbi Hauer, as the saying goes, the shoemaker's children always go barefoot. Um, often we hear of children of rabbis, care professionals, not feeling connected to Judaism. We inspire others, but struggle to inspire our own. How, could we, how can that be addressed? They don't always go barefoot. They often go barefoot. Thank you for asking that question. It really does not have to be that way. Not at all. In fact, it can and should be the opposite. Not because, how could it, how could it? but because tactically, practically, the way you, the way you, uh, you do things, the way you live your life, it can really be the opposite. Uh, I'll take a couple of minutes for this. I, I, I did that for the other questions too, but I didn't say it in advance. <laughs> you can only know what's in store. <laughs> uh, there, there is a, a, a Ralbag, which is a bone-chilling, uh, has a bone-chilling comment in the, in the beginning of Sefer Shmuel. It's not actually right, right at the beginning because the way the Ralbag works, he, at the end of a number of prokim, he summarizes and says, these are the to'alios, these are the benefits uh, that, we, that we gain from this parsha. So the Ralbag says, in Sefer Shmuel it says, Vahiki zaken Shmuel, uvanov lehalchu bedrachav. 
It was as Shmuel became old, his children did not follow in his way. And it goes on to tell the story of Chafni and Pinchas and everything that surrounded it, you know the story. Says the Ralbag, the toelas, the benefit of the Torah telling us, of the Navi telling us this story, is because we can see from here that since Shmuel traveled the world, as it says, he traveled from place to place to go and to judge, to help guide the Jewish people. And he had a cycle, he had a circuit, and he came back to his home. It says, therefore, he was not there to focus on his children. And therefore, Bonav It says Rabag, therefore, a person who has responsibility for the Jewish people has to be mindful of this. Has to be mindful of this. I, uh, I'll, I'll give an example. I live in Baltimore. My desk is, my, is in, in New York. There is no way I would have taken this job if my nest, our nest, my wife, our nest was not virtually empty. No way. It's, it's a tremendous, wonderful shlichus. I, I, I feel a privilege to be able to, to be able to do, to be able to do this work. However, one thing we learn in life is that in almost everything that we do, in almost every role that we have, we are not irreplaceable as, as highly as we think of ourselves. You know, I was a rabbi of a shul that I built up, and then I took this job, and like this perverse part of me was saying, and now the shul is going to fall apart because they can't live without me. And I daven in the shul, and Baruch Hashem, it hasn't fallen apart because I'm, I'm replaceable. I'm replaceable there. I'm replaceable here. However, you know what happens, Lo'aleinu, when a husband isn't around? Their wife gets a name. It's called Almana. A person missing a husband. It's a status. There's even such a thing that Chazal speaks about almanas chius, an almana of a living person. Somebody who, I think like Monday nights during the football season or something like that. And lo'aleinu, a child who doesn't have a parent has a status, has a name. They're called a yosom or a yosoma. Because for our spouse and for our children, we are irreplaceable. And it's our first job. It's our most major job. And we can never lose sight of that. And you know, the work that we do is holy work. It's a significant work. You're not going to be able to just, uh, you know, yeah. But you, you have to be able to, in practice and in messaging, make sure that your children understand that they come first. I will say one more thing. I will say one more thing. You are educating young people. You're going to have them around your table. You have them, you teach them all the time. What do you teach them? You teach them things that they've never been exposed to before, like how to keep Shabbos, how to put on tefillin, how to light candles. You teach them things. How would they know how to do these things? You know what else you have to teach them? A different thing that it's very likely they've never been exposed to before. And that is how to live family life.
does your average student, day school or non-day school, do they like have like a great picture of how a parent is supposed to prioritize and care for their children, for their spouse? It's one of the areas which need the most chinuch in Kal Yisrael. And that means Eitzel Anshei Shlomeinu and certainly Mibachutz. When you focus on your spouse and you focus on your kids, you are doing the best educating and teaching of the people around you, even when you're not talking to them. You're modeling what it is to be a person, a Torah person, a person with values. And live that way, Bezos Hashem, and you will be zocha to have nachas from each and every one of your children. Amen. Thank you. Josh, I guess it's a continuation of that question. We all know the work that we do is important. It's holy, critical to the future of the Jewish people. I don't think there's a person in this room that doesn't feel that deeply in their heart. But also, often the staff find themselves, because of that, pushing themselves to the detriment of themselves and their family. So how do we create a work-life balance um, when the work is so integrated into our lives and so important to us? I was once asked to give a speech on work-life balance, and I asked them to find somebody who actually knows how to do that. So, right, okay, Mitch. Um, the, <laughs> Hot and kettle. <laughs> the bracha of COVID for me was that I learned that the more time I spend with people in my family, the better off I am and the better off they are. I won't say that I'm not, I don't have workaholic-like tendencies today because that's why I'm not the person to give the work-life balance speech. But I value much more not just the qualitative moments, which I think I did for a long time, value that when I'm with my family to give them my full attention, but that you also can't make up for quantity. Uh, Rabbi uh, Jacob J. Schachter, when I was first thinking about smicha, I believe I think believe it's Tuesdays. He he used to say Tuesday afternoons were for him and his family, and that if I was thinking about becoming a rabbi of any kind, that I needed my Tuesday afternoon. And so I would ask you here, show of hands, how many of you have a Tuesday afternoon? At least some point, right? Because th these jobs are 24-7. If, 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 if a student or participant is calling you, whatever, at 11 o'clock at night, you're, gonna, uh, you're answering the phone. Uh, probably, uh, you know. Or they need you. They're in crisis. So you need your Tuesday afternoons. That's one approach that I take to work-life balance. Number two is... And Rabbi Hauer, I think, you know, said this better than I'm going to say it, but the, the ability to involve your family in what you're doing by sharing with them the experiences, but also I mean, not unburdening, unburdening yourself to the people that you love, but explaining to them these are the things that I'm working on. That kind of communication is can be, at certain ages, very helpful to them in understanding maybe why uh, they tried to call me today and I couldn't answer the phone. But that, become, that only comes on the heels of them knowing that 
I'm going to answer the phone, and I answer the following way. Is everything okay? That way they know that I'm in the middle of a meeting or I'm in the middle of something. I care enough to answer. And um, they know that if there's an emergency that they can get me at any single moment. Creating those boundaries and those crossovers for me has been key to making sure that uh, I, I keep that balance. And then there's a, the last thing I'll say, which is that um, I'm not really allowed to put things on my calendar anymore. Um, I'm, I'm not going to say her name because she gets mad at me if I mention her. But there's somebody else who's responsible for my, uh, and she just walked into the room, so I can't, really can't say her name. Um, but I will put into my calendar things, and, and the truth is now she does it because I still really don't have access to my calendar. This day or this group of hours is dedicated to family. Because if it's not on my calendar, it's not happening. And so literally to calendar time, not just to say I have my Tuesday afternoons, but to say, okay, Tuesday at four o'clock, I'm spending my time with this child, or I'm gonna do this thing with my friends, or I'm gonna do this thing with my spouse, or I'm gonna do this thing with whatever the child is. I'm going to make that phone call to my mother every single day at a certain time. It's gonna be in my calendar. Those are my three strategies. Thank you very much. Mitch, we, we all know in NCSY that we've had to become more financially responsible. Budget cuts um, and thinking about ways to ensure that we, uh, we, we're budget neutral as best as possible. How should NCSY staff prioritize financial responsibility when trying to create new engaging programs uh, to engage as many teens as possible? I think I've got a call to take now. <laughs> my, my wife is calling. Her. <laughs> so, I think the simple answer to that is um, um, that everything that I do, <clears throat> whether it's in my personal life or in my professional life, has to be done with an eye on financial responsibility, right? Um, um, I, I don't spend more money than I have or than I can afford to spend. Um, <clears throat> um, none of us has sort of a, I assume that none of us has, um, <clears throat> uh, sort of just an endless, you know, endowment sitting around that we can just, you know, uh, you know play with willy-nilly. Uh, we have to be responsible. Um, <clears throat> we have to be responsible with, with our finances <clears throat> and work within the constraints we have. Now, obviously, we raise more money, we have more money to, 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 to spend. But I think that we should be, you know, setting our priorities and our, and our, <clears throat> and our plans and our, and our dreams in a manner that's consistent with the reality that we have. Um, <clears throat> and um, it, uh, again, it's hard. It's hard because, uh, and, and you know, Right now is especially hard, right? Right now when we're in the pivot mode, right? So we have our regular programs, but now we've got to do all this new stuff um, that's Israel-related. And like we weren't planning for that. Like, we had a budget, we were on track, we were doing you know, all, all these sort of good things, and now, boom, literally. Okay, so th there may be a, a short period in which we have to just do stuff, 
because we have to, but at, at the earliest possible moment to step back and pause and say, okay, <clears throat> um, I only have this much money to play with, where do I cut back, right? And if, and if I can't cut back, I have a conversation with, um, with, my, with my boss, with my, with my leadership, and say, is there any way we can do more? With our donors, you go to your donors and say, Look, you need us to do this, but it has to be part of the way we think about what we do, and it's hard. I, I get it that it's hard, because <clears throat> uh, we all want to do more. We always want to do more, but we have to, both in terms of just managing our time, because we have to budget our time, and we have to prioritize our time in the same way we have to prioritize and budget our money. Thank you. So I'm going to ask one final question. It'll be the same question for each of you. Start with Robert Hauer, but for the entire panel, if there's one piece of advice that you can give to us uh, in regard to leadership, what would it be? And is there one book that you'd recommend um, that has inspired you as a leader that you'd like to share with us? If there was one piece of advice, it would be to use the word leadership less and use the word achrayas, responsibility more. Uh, lead leadership has a, um, I know we use it, like if we had a, a shekel for every time we had, a, we described a leadership program in any of our departments, um, then you wouldn't have had to ask Mitch that question. Um, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, leadership has sort of like a, a, a me-centered uh, tone, and achrayas has another centered tone. And one of, not one of, I think the most critical piece of, uh, of our role is to not get caught up in ourselves, to be focused in, in the phraseology of Rav Chaim of Elozhener, Zekol Ha'odam, Loi La'atzma Nivra Ela Lahetiv, Lahoi La'acherim, Bechol Mashiim Sabiyodo Lasos. A person's not created for themselves, they're created to be able to do for others, to benefit others in whichever way they possibly can. Um, in terms of a favorite book, yes, I have a favorite book about leadership. It's the Torah. Um, I'm sorry. You owe me 10 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Torah. And the more you learn it, and the more you feel yourself, <laughs> the more you learn it, and the more you fill yourself with it, the, the, okay, I take it back. <laughs> um, but if if there's something other than the Torah, I would just tell you the, what I have found most expansive in 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 life is reading about the lives. Of, of, uh, of passionate and effective Jewish leaders. It gives you like a window into. It's like shimush. It's like it's like it's like sitting at the knee of 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 someone and just watching and watching them. And there there are there are wonderful wonderful books. Some of them will not win any great literary awards, but they 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 give you a sense of the story and of the life of the person. And that's very expansive, very, very expansive. It's a growing, can be a real growing experience. Thank you. Same question. I'll start with a lesson because I'm still trying to come up with a, my second answer. <laughs> 
most important leadership lesson is to surround yourself with good people. People often say like, oh, I don't know what job I want when I grow up. I want to be in banking. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be... And what they don't think about is, who do I want to be working with? Surround yourself with good people. Have partners like this. People in a room like this. That we can show up and know that there's going to be a solid program that the human resources team and the NCSY team and the facilities team who set up the room and everybody else who's been involved. Surround yourself with good people. That's leadership lesson number one. Okay, I stalled enough. Um, I was going to say safe or bracious. I really was going to say safe or bracious so because, because if you come into my office and you're all invited to come in and take a book, I have like a thousand leadership books in there, right? Like, uh, you just came in the other day and like, oh, give and take, yep. you know? Like, uh, there's so many, so many good ones. Um, I'm going to say two. Okay. One is, uh, like, for me, like, the beginning, like, one of the small B Bibles, which is Goleman, Bayatzis, and McKee, called Primal Leadership on Emotional Intelligence, the Different Styles of Leadership. I think that that's a, that's a good one. Trying to figure out your own emotional intelligence and leadership style. And the other one is one that um, actually Yoni Cohen just uh, had me read. It literally took an hour, maybe max an hour and a half, by Patrick Lencioni called The Motive, if you haven't had. Yep. Okay. Two o'clock right here. Don't, uh, don't read it before then, or do? I don't know. <laughs> There's a real disadvantage of going last. <clears throat> um, so my, my leadership advice is similar to what Josh said, um, which is, in my career, I had a lot of bosses. A lot of bosses. <clears throat> Sometimes six or eight or ten at the same time for whom I worked. And I very consciously, um, throughout my career, focused on what each one of them did and said, I like that. I wouldn't want to do that. This one's great in this area, but I don't like the way he does that or she does that. There's no one style. We're all, we're all different. Our styles are all going to be different. And to me, there's no one leadership lesson because, you know, <clears throat> we're all different. And to focus very closely on the people with whom you work, for whom you work, <clears throat> and there's going to be, with each one of them, something that you want to take and say, wow, that was great. That was great. And try to incorporate that in what you do. That would be my lesson. In terms of um, a, a book, um, so I actually avoid all kind of books that Josh reads <coughs> um, as a matter of policy. <laughs> um, he's made me read a couple of them. Um, and when, 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 I, when I said before, why haven't I fired him before? Um, <coughs> but he has made me read some of them. Uh, they don't work for me. For me, uh, I have a very, very big ego. Um, and, um, and it's something that I have to try to manage. Um, um, and so for me, the Sharha Nava in Orchus uh, Tadikim, um, it's very short. And for me, um, you know, in theory, um, I, I read a paragraph every morning, but it's kind of like my exercise schedule, which is, doesn't work out every morning. But to me, <coughs> that is a, for me an important reminder um, just to dealing with my own shortcomings. That's my book. 
Well, thank you so much for your time, for all the work you do for Claudia Stroll, the Orthodox Union. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much.